welcome to the last part of our book recordings. Thank you so much for going through the entire book with us and we can't wait to hear from you. So please do send us an email, send us a DM on Instagram or Twitter. But now please settle down and enjoy the next hour for the last time. Good omens, the book. And now let's get to the them. The them having one of their quite normal conversation about surprisingly deep or complicated or weird shit. And this is also something that I'm missing in the show, that it is so normal for them to have these kinds of conversation. Because it seems so much more normal. This conversation also seems much less dramatic when he's like, oh, we're just gonna reset the world and distribute it. Like you get Australia and you get Africa and you get Europe and la 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 la. And the them are like, yeah, but why? And if I have all these small European countries, which is like, yo, dude, (laughs) I think Wednesday Dale is the one who gets Europe and he's like, I don't want those random small countries. Shut up. But there's so much more backtalk once again from the them. Because while they do follow him, they still, each of them have their own backbone and opinions. And they try to make their stand. And yes, we do have the situation later on where they can't not follow. But there is no literal silencing them at any point whatsoever. So... I actually really preferred that. Also, only now and now, which is, what, is it Saturday morning still? This is the first time Adam actually starts hearing voices while on the show that starts happening much sooner. And I appreciate that because we have had the opportunity to get to know Adam a little bit more before he starts turning into the Antichrist or like before his Antichrist side bubbles up to... Before he gets activated. Yeah. He's like a sleeper agent. Come on. Yeah. Oh my God. There are three flowers. There are three flowers in a vase. The second flower is blue. Yes. Oh my God. Ah, um. Chills. One more thing that I want to say about this whole situation with the them. Because we know Adam a little bit better and because we know the relationship between the them and Adam better, it makes so much more sense than that we get a sentence that goes, this wasn't the old Adam the them knew. Yeah. Because at this point, yes, it kind of is visible on the show, but at this point, we know exactly to pinpoint when he turns bad, he goes from Dr. Hyde into Mr. Jekyll, basically. (laughs) No? No? Well, why not? (laughs) We move from them back to Anathema and Newt, and they keep on having conversation and yaddy yaddy. For me, the most important part about this section is how close Anathema is to solving it herself. And Newt in this setting is actually more of a distraction than helpful. In the show, she is completely oblivious all of the time and Nude is the one to provide the needed perspective to figure it out. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> their, their dynamic changes a little bit. She actually is the one who brings in the theme of love, which is something that we don't get to hear from her side at all. I believe that that's something only Azrafel mentions on the show which I think is a shame because Mm. this again coming from multiple perspectives makes it more significant and makes it more noticeable and for a reader easier to digest I think so the whole big explanation of 
Something or someone loves this place, every inch of it so powerfully that it shields and protects it. Deep down, huge, fierce love. All of these things are coming from anathema. Exactly. And as you said, she is so close to figuring it out. It's just hilarious to me how at the same time characters have more and less competence. <laughs> it's like, it's just, it's wild to me. And after going very speedily through Doc's point of view, we actually get a little insert of what's happening around the world. So we have South America where we meet Jimmy Ernest, who is a local boy who is eating his lunch and suddenly a tree that was basically dead starts growing and it just grows into a forest around him. Which is, it's nice to see the little details of the large scale things that Adam is causing around the world. Mm -hmm. If you speed up the sound a tree makes when it grows, it is vroom, according to this book. So I also really, really love that. <laughs> Then we get the Kraken rising. Which has no face, by the way. Literally, it gets mentioned that he does not have a face. And so I feel so justified. <laughs> Because remember how upset I was. Yeah, it doesn't have a humanoid face. I remember that. It's like deeply Im embedded in my brain now mm -hmm. that you had an issue with that. It doesn't have eyes, according to this book. And then, brilliant way to end this bit. 10 billion sushi dinners cry out for vengeance. Mwah. The line is still beautiful, yes. And back into the cottage we go. And here is our sex scene, nearly. It's thankfully much less than in the show. I am still yeah. not a fan and I have made very clear in the show coverage why. I appreciate that Newt isn't taking it for granted. He would like to ask her out for a dinner after this is all over, but he is struggling with the idea because he's naturally very shy and he is not used to women approaching him this way, and which is quite well portrayed on the show but there is a certain level of sweetness to me in their relationship the way it's described in the book I actually really like it but Again, we are having the same conversation what we had before, except in slightly different details. Anything potentially sweet is completely moldy because of the base setup. So I don't care how sugary or great or beautiful it be. It is all covered with a thick cover of mold that is called predetermined happenings that they have no choice within. So nope from me. And we end this chapter with the pin flying out of the map, which is done in a little bit of a bigger detail. Yes. It ends with something that actually I understand why supposedly Shadwell is likable now. It shows genuine care for Newt that he had a chance to build up over the last few weeks. He hasn't met him two days ago. Also, the way this happens with the map catching fire and everything is because the pin falls out and then Shadwell puts it back in and the pin just straight up shoots out again. And so he holds it down and that is what causes the map to start burning. So he is literally face to face with the map catching fire. So he is so much more things are afoot, shit is about to go down. And because of the higher emotion that we had in the previous scene where he sent Newt into his mission, 
combined with oh my god like literally two centimeters from my face the map is starting to burn where I put the witch pin in where my fellow witch finder is in trouble I sent him there whoa this all makes so much more sense and it is so much more understandable and relatable it's more deserved and also him going through his options like what can I do where can I go I don't have the money to do this I don't have the money to do that I don't have the resources and then of course on top he's also scared of Crowdy because he thinks he's in the mafia. So the only way that he can do something is to see the soft pansy man, pansy boy, whatever he calls him, I forgot it. Southern pansy. Yes, so it makes sense that he goes there on all the levels. So I really enjoyed this. We go into the confrontation, of course, leading up with Aziraphale has the conversation, the Metatron shows up, everything like in the show, and then, of course... Shadwell interrupts all of this. My main note on this is the book that he uses for the exorcism is The Nice and Accurate Prophecies. And that is not the book he uses in the show. And I'm a bit disappointed, to be honest. It would be really funny. But also, this proves me right. Yes, it does. I said it could be any book, just as long as it is a book. And we had this discussion. So... I know you can't see, listeners, but I am showing, yes, book, yes, any book is my note on this. As much as I enjoy being right, I have no problem conceding <laughs> when I was very obviously wrong. Sure, listen, if you had no problem conceding, it, would you always have to say, as much as I enjoy being right, I have no problem agreeing with you now? Two things that contradict each other can be true at the same time. It's something that you work through in therapy. Stuff can be through things. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> no. You don't like when I do this. I know. <laughs> this is literally all I have on this chapter. Same. We go into Crowley's place next. Or at least my notes go into Crowley's place next. And once again, I have exactly one thing that stood out for me. And that is the explanation as to why he has the sketch of the Mona Lisa on the wall. So I really, really love this because I did ask the question, why does Crowley have a sketch of the Mona Lisa? Here we go, there's the explanation. It's the original sketch that was done before the painting by Leonardo himself, and he got it from Leonardo. Yep, and this is something that again brings us to the fact that the show isn't supposed to replace the book. It's supposed to live in symbiotic relationship. So in order for you to 100% enjoy the show, you need to know the book. You can still enjoy the show, Without the book, obviously. Both work without each other, but together you get more than the sum of the two of them. Exactly. So, yeah, this is one of those little details that completely prove discussion that we had about an hour and a half ago. Quick question for you. Were you wondering what the pin for his safe was? or Was I? Yes, maybe. When we were covering it, you mentioned it. And I don't remember if you actually saw it and were upset that it wasn't like 666. I think I was complaining that I couldn't make it out because I would have liked to. Because we actually do know, they tell us the, the combination in the book. Oh! It is 4004. It is easy to remember the year he had slithered onto this stupid Marvel's planet back when it was still glamming and new. So 4004 BC. Nice. 
I read over that. Coming up next, we go to the cafe scene with the three writers meeting and Dev already being there in the background and playing. According to what I was able to find out, the additional group of four bikers were cast and the scenes were shot, but not used in the end. And I have not been able to figure out why, aside from the obvious reason being not enough time. So I'm quite curious if there's going to be additional stuff or anything, but I could not even find the names of the actors who got cast as the other four writers. So one of my main sources was Lost Adaptation by Dom Noble because he does amazing work. So I have the link in my notes. Because when we go into the cafe scene in the book, while Death is playing, there's a group of bikers commenting on the answers. And there we also have one of the Elvis callbacks because it's one of the questions is which year did Elvis die? And Death refuses to press a button because he knows that he never collected him. And the bikers go like, no, no, it's this year, it's this year, it's this year. And so this is something that is completely missing, obviously, from the show. And that goes on towards later and later and later. So... I mostly talk about it here and I will not be bringing it up again, even though they do have hilarious names that they keep changing throughout the rest of the book up to their demise. I do have to say, I might be wrong because my guesses on who wrote what are as good as anybody's. I am pretty sure that name changing is a work of Terry Pratchett because it feels very typical for his sense of humor. And it would make sense given the supposed fact that Neil tried to keep in as much of Terry's parts for it to actually be cast and shot but then being forced to cut it out due to timing reasons. So I'm with you that this group of people and the naming and everything is probably a lot Terry. Yes. So basically, there is a tiny little way of us to find out which writers of the apocalypse have entered the chat, I mean the cafe, (laughs) by showing us that the categories on the game are changing from uh, pop music, current events, general knowledge and sports. It starts changing to pop music, war, current events and general knowledge, and then goes to pop music, current events, famine and war. And, you know, every time somebody enters, it changes slightly. So it's just this little nice, tiny little touch, which I really, really enjoyed. And then uh, we also find out that one of the bikers has spent some time in prison. So he has read the Bible multiple times and he basically knows it really well. So this is one of the reasons why they're like, ooh, we're going to be joining the writers of the apocalypse. This is so cool. But why aren't we mentioned in the Bible? What an interesting question, which gets resulted a little bit later on. Also, we do have the whole uh, Hell's Angels stuff like with the vests and everything. And if you know anything about biker culture, that should be enough. And let's not get into that too much. And when we finally unite all of these people in the cafe, we pop over to see Wandering Zerafel. Basically, a few looming Armageddon scenes, I called this. <laughs> like the fish raining from the sky is something that is missing from the show, right? We don't see fish raining down, which probably was a money issue. Because as I said in the first part of this recording, the main reasons for stuff to not be in the show is either time or money or a combination of the two. (laughs) Yes. 
Also, another thing, the preacher being used as a speaking vessel is also completely not in the show because we do not have the reuniting scene in the cafe or pub thingy where Crowley meets Aziraphale's ghost because they never broke up, so we don't have to have them make up with each other again. So instead of that, we have in my assumption, Xerophil, speak through the preacher and then just carry on towards a nicer person as a vessel, which is Madame Tracy. Because I read it as the preacher is actually a really sucky person. Yeah. And so Xerophil's like, fuck this, moving on. <laughs> but also, he is in the wrong part of the world because he's in Nebraska. I mean, come on, he could miracle himself somewhere else, probably. I'm gonna have it as my headcanon that Xerophil picked a decent human to function as his vessel. I can uh, live with that. I can embrace that. And then we are moving on to Crowley. And the only reason why I'm actually gonna stick and mention this at all, first of all, well, actually two reasons. One is that Crowley reaches into the glove department of his, of his car for his spare pair of sunglasses, but he only finds gazettes. <laughs> So he does not indeed have a whole bunch of them anymore, at least. And the second thing is that this is, I believe, the last time we have a song, specific song mentioned, which gives us a list of the songs, not here, which I have smartly written in the book somewhere. And now I can't find All your notes are in the book, so I am not surprised. So we have a final tall of the Queen songs that are mentioned in the book and it unfortunately is not the exact same list that we have in the show we get Bohemian Rhapsody multiple times so that checks out okay check. we have another one bites the dust check we have we are the champions which I believe is not in the show but we will rock you is in the show mm-hmm. and they are one and the same basically like they are intertwined so I will let that count Okay, uh, we have I Want to Break Free. Which we have on the show, right? Did we not cover that? Where's our bonus material? We talked about these songs at length and now I can't remember. I have the list somewhere. I Want to Break Free is not on the list. No, okay, so that is the one I have to count as a not covered, okay. Fat Bottom Girls, which is not on the list, but Bicycle Race is? Yes, Bicycle Race is. I covered Bicycle Race. Yes, so so didn't you say that Bicycle Race is some sort of a combination of like, it has references of Fat Bottom Girls or is it the other way around? The song references the band's song, Fat Bottom Girls, with the line, Fat Bottom Girls, they'll be riding today. Fat Bottom Girls reciprocates with Get On Your Bikes and Ride. The two songs were released together as a double A-sided single. See, so we have the connection there. Okay, so I Want to Break Free is the only song that is not there at all. One more, and that's the song that is mentioned at this point, where we are in the car and Crowley is doing 120 miles an hour on Oxford streets and can't find his sunglasses. Terrible. And that is Radio Gaga. Ooh. Which is not on the list at all either. Wow. And both songs are from the same album, The Works. So maybe they just couldn't get the rights to that album or something? No, 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 no. Radio Gaga and I Want to Break Free are both on the 1984 album, on the 11th album. So It's a Hard Life should be on that one. Yes. Yep. Which is the first Queen song that plays on the show in episode one. 
And uh, it is not in the in the list. Yep, no reason why those two songs aren't there, but that means that probably you should do your due diligence and maybe do a short cover of those two songs at some point. We will talk about it, or we could take one each. So that is my opinions on that bit. One last thing. Crowley is driving towards Tadfiel without having any interaction with Aziraphale since they last saw each other, but he is aware that the bookstore burnt down. So because in the show they have the meetup when Crowley is drunk and Aziraphale is a ghost, when Crowley actually drives to Tadfield in the show, he knows Aziraphale exists. Here, Crowley thinks Aziraphale is gone, gone, and is still trying to save the world. So Motivation. Yeah, but I feel like this is a very different layer on the character because Crowley in the show doth not care for the world without Aziraphale in it. Crowley in the book, even without Aziraphale, would prefer to have the world. Yes. So I wanted to mention that. (laughs) That is very, very actually good catch. So we go back to the them and I feel for the hundredth time I wrote down that Adam does not take the ability to speak away from the them. And I feel like I must have said this so many times, so I'm sorry for repeating myself so much, even for my standard. (laughs) Speaking of the world and humans, (laughs) in humanity, I have written down the names of the writers of what they chose their names, and I'm not going to say all of them, just some of them. I think that's the one of the last ones that, that they... Uh, the riders. We are now with the... The riders, yeah. Horsemen and their sidekick horsemen group. So we have death, famine, war and pollution, obviously. And then we have grievous bodily harm, cruelty to animals, things not working properly even after you've given them a good thumping, but secretly <laughs> no alcohol lager, and really cool people. So this is where we leave the idiots for us for a bit and we go through the uh, seance which is very accurate so no need to linger there with the seance of course we also have shadwell being there showing up we actually get shadwell's fever dream where he hovers above agnes so this is where it connects yes The woman looks up, she is staring straight at him, invisible though he is. And she is smiling. And then it all goes boom. So this is what we get in the actual book. And more accurate things. And then we go to the dem. And as per usual now, when we go to the dem in this situation, I have to point out that Adam never takes away the ability to speak from them. Because we get such a great conversation in this scene. As I'm pretty sure I mentioned when we started recording this, one of the big cutouts from book to show is the third baby and the gang that he has because he also ends up in Tadfield, which are the Johnsonites. And the opposing forces of the them versus the Johnsonites is one of the necessary concepts that Adam uses and the them in their conversation clear up to come to the result or acceptance that it would not be great if either side wasn't there. And so this might be one of the reasons why it feels so flat to me in the show, how Adam comes to the point of, okay, never mind, because here 
it is done through actual conversation and reasoning, I'm gonna say. I mean, it also makes sense that we don't have this on this level because this conversation is not a conversation a group of, how old are they, 11-year-olds would have. But from what I read or heard about Terry Pratchett's writing is that Terry writes very grown-up children. So... This is not something that I would complain about. But I really love the conclusion that Adam comes to with the actual help of his friends. And this is not about backtalk, but this is about different perspectives, listening to all of them and then coming to a healthy conclusion. Yeah. So I really enjoyed this scene, much more so than I did in the show. You just casually breezed through about 30 pages <laughs> with no notes. So I finally found where, where we are. <laughs> We went through, like, we just skipped the whole uh, Crowley driving a burning car and... Because it's the same! It's not exactly the same. He has red eyes, by the way. Crowley's eyes are glowing red. He drives the car, he holds it together by his imagination. In the next scene, we have the burning car where he stops to ask the fucking neighbor for directions and everything. We were nowhere near that yet. <laughs> anyway, to, to connect to your thing, there's not much I can add to that except for maybe... Uh, except for the things I skipped that you would like to include. <laughs> nah, nah, it's fine. Except for a couple of specific sentences that support what you just said. And that is Pepper saying, if we beat them, we'd have to be our own deadly enemies, which is a beautiful point. And and then she says, everyone needs a Greasy Johnson. And I added to that, except for the TV show, right? <laughs> nice. Salty bitch. I love it. Love it. Um, there is a little bit that we skipped through. I'm just going to touch up on it real fast. Tiny little difference. The sex scene resolution where Anathema on the show, she just dresses and like moves on while in the book, she actually goes take a shower and we find Newt's having this whole like a inner dilemma of like oh wait am I supposed to take a shower now is that what people do I have never done this before what's going on is she gonna take a shower then I'm not gonna be I don't have to take a shower is this like a whole thing of inner struggle about a completely banal thing which I found really really cute and funny I hated every sentence in that part because it's like just because you never had sex does not mean you don't know basic hygiene. But because we skipped through the entire Crowley's car being lit on fire, we haven't mentioned the fact that the M25 is actually completely fucked. And we get this little bit where the M25 is now a frozen circle, but also on fire. So it's not just a big wall of burning. Mm -hmm. It's this weird combination of both, which is obviously very difficult for humans to understand. So there is a lot of people from different agencies and everyone trying to figure out what the fuck is going on. And as well as these people, there was also a man selling hot dogs, which I wish there was a random man selling hot dogs in the background of one of the, one of the scenes on the show because that would make my heart so happy. I am not saying there's not. There is a possibility that just I just didn't notice him. But if I watch this again... I will look out for a man selling hot dogs because I feel that would be a great tiny little Easter egg to the book. When it comes to the, it's frozen, but also burning at the same time, I always, because for me, this is hellfire. And I always have to think about the supposed article, if hell is 
exothermic or endothermic. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever read that, but it is absolutely hilarious. I highly recommend reading it. I'm going to try to find the text so that we can put it in this episode because it is hilarious. And so hell, hell probably actually is cold. So... <laughs> So hellfire in my mind is actually burning cold. It is this weird kind of a thing where I don't know about you, but I'm way more uncomfortable when I'm hot while also cold at the same time. It's like this <laughs> ultimate feeling of unease. And then I can completely understand that hellfire will be giving you exactly that kind of a feeling because, God, it's so weird and you don't know what to do because if you put on more clothes, you're going to be sweating more, but also you may not be... It's just... This, there's no solution to it, basically. Mm-hmm. So, understandably so... It's hell. So I actually found the bit that is circling around the internet or back in the day, actually emails. This is a forward, 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 haha, funny. And so I found the actual forward, forward, haha, funny, but also the actual origin and everything because there is a Snopes article about this, which I did not know. So that makes me very happy. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) <laughs> Enough with the burning M25, which is actually the sigil of I forgot the name. Yes. Last thing we get to see here is Zirafel on the... It's not a Vespa in this iteration. It's a... It's a scooter. Whatever. Scooter. I believe that they do tell us which one, but who cares? <laughs> you. <laughs> Flying through the hellfire and the woman is screaming Geronimo which obviously there is a reason do you think Aziraphale is screaming Geronimo or do you think Madame Tracy is screaming Geronimo I think Aziraphale is screaming Geronimo because it has been mentioned in the book previously there has been the word Geronimo used before and Aziraphale was in that context so I am sure it's him also Geronimo forever now on will be connected to Doctor Who for me so this is my personal nod to it flipped around over because obviously this was written before Matt Smith has taken the reins of Doctor Who so maybe he is saying it because no he's not obviously saying it because it's in this book (laughs) he's saying it because of the original reasons but you know it's all connected in my mind everything's connected Mm, everything everywhere all at once still haven't seen it and now we have Newt and Anathema approaching the military base and something that slightly bothered me and I'm pretty sure we mentioned that when we were covering the show they just come up to the great fallen ash behind the eagle's nest and they just walk through while in the book there is an actual guard sitting on top of the tree guarding the hall to the base because obviously it's a security breach if they leave it unattended. So it makes complete sense to me that there is a guard there that they have to deal with. Obviously, time-wise, whatever, whatever, on the show, they decided to let that one go. But it was always a bit kind of a grating on me that there was just this hole in a fence and nobody cared. It depends on when the tree actually fell over. Because if it is a fresh fallen tree, then maybe nobody noticed yet or something. So there's a little change. And then we have them getting together on their bicycles, about to go to the airbase. And 
I don't know if you've noticed, but we get a little description of their bikes in this bit. First, we get Pepper and Pepper's bike and her attaching a piece of cardboard to the to the wheel to make a noise every time she paddles. They usually use a card, not a cardboard, because a like a playing card is a bit more flexible, but Pepper is special, so she uses cardboard. Mm. But according to this, Wensleydale's bike was black and shiny and sensible, which is description of famine. Black, shiny, sensible. This is all things that I have associated with him. And Pepper's bike basically makes the noise of shooting a gun with the cardboard. Oh my god. I was kind of figu- trying to figure out what's the connection there. Thank you. Did you know the sound a card ma- makes if you put it in a spinning wheel? So yeah, it's like shooting. It's like mind blown. And then Brian's might have been white once, but its color was lost beneath a thick layer of mud. Which is, of course, pollution. And this is now why they get matched with whom they get matched, which is something that I was complaining in the show as to why Wensleydale got matched with Famine, because it made no sense. The show changed slightly even how they get rid of them in the next scene, so we'll get to that. But... Mm -hmm. This is why I wanted to mention it, because I know that it was weird to us and I was trying to figure out a way to give you an answer to this. Yep. Because I felt like there was an answer, but I didn't know what it was. So, yes, here here we go. That one's for you. That that one goes out to all of my friends. <laughs> Whoever doubted the choices that Neil Gaiman made on the show. No, but that's the thing, like... It- It is so nice to see that most of the grievances, in quotation marks, that we, or mostly me, had with some parts of the show are at least partially answered in the book. They're addressed. Not necessarily always answered, but they're addressed. That's why I say partially answered. Once again, they work well together. Are we now finally at the point where the noisy neighbor with the dog comes up? Yes. Okay, because this is actually my next note that I have been waiting for since the last, like, 15 <laughs> minutes or something. So you remember the noisy neighbor who started the neighborhood watch and everything. In the show, is called Pete Tyler. In the book, he is called R.P. Tyler, which is close enough. So we're going to count that as it's the same, because maybe he just has another name before Pete. He is incredibly obnoxious. Like, the level of obnoxiousness on the show does not compute nowhere near the obnoxiousness of this character in the book really i found it was a perfect match match to me i was annoyed by him on the show but oh my god the amount of times i skimmed through his thought processes just because i just couldn't get through it fast enough because he was so annoying to me Ugh. It was a lot. It was a lot. I had to force myself to go back and reread the bits because I was like, I don't want to miss anything. But <laughs> Jesus, such hard work. The only thing that otherwise was relevant to me is that he actually does give instructions to Madame Tracy and he doesn't do that in the show. Like in the show, he gives directions twice, which is to the writers and to Crowley. And here he gives instructions thrice. And the second time is Madame Tracy and co. And the third time is Crowley. So that was interesting to me. He doesn't meet Zerafel, Madame Tracy and Shadwell on the show. While also he doesn't really say the instructions them because he's just so in his own head he just points a direction okay you have the book in front of you so i'm just gonna believe you since it's not in the show i did not write down the differences from what did not happen in the show in the scene that happened in the book 
Also, he is asking Madame Tracy if she does private functions and she says only on Thursdays. Which still does not tell us what she does Thursdays. Yes, but she does private functions, whatever that is. No. We're a step closer <laughs> to figure it out. Not really. Now, my next note is when we are on the airbase already. So Anathema and Newt, they threaten the guard, which obviously they don't do on the show. And that is how they get on the base. How the other make it on the base is pretty much identical to the show. Both the horsemen and Crowley slash Aziraphale. Yes. Now, when War gets into the whole thing, she's the first one who calls it out on the show as well. But they start talking about how it doesn't feel right. And then they bring up something that isn't actually addressed as much because they're like, but weren't we supposed to meet somebody? I thought he'd be coming with us. Which... You know, the fact that Adam isn't there, I didn't actually really clock it when I was watching it, but it should make sense. He should be there when they're coming in, in theory. He was supposed to be full-on Antichrist at this point, yes. Yes. So uh, this is something that is slightly changed in Bulgana. And I was like, oh my God, I didn't even realize that this is a thing. So uh, War pointing it out and then Famine repeating it a little bit later is... Like, oh, okay, totally makes sense. But speaking of Adam and the them, at some point in between getting onto the base, the them create the three items that they will need to face the horsemen. And so they make the sword, the scales and the crown that they will then be using in the confrontation. So basically what happens is that when the four horsemen are given the instructions, it is a very complicated way and it's definitely in a weird way, not the shortest way because then immediately afterwards when the kids show up, it is said they went their own way, but because they know where they are, it's more scenic and it's shorter. So even though they are driving, and this is, I think this is the reason why it is this way, even though they're riding bicycles while the horsemen are riding bikes, it doesn't take that much longer for them to get there because their journey is shorter. So to me, something that would be like a bit, you know, annoying if they would all get there around the same time. They were like just paddling and they didn't have a fucking engine. So like, how did they get there so fast? Because on a bike, you don't take the straight, you take the shortcut through the woods. That's super obvious to me. <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't see it that way. What we do get again, a little bit more fleshed out, is that Adam doesn't necessarily know what's going to happen, or rather, he doesn't really know how to approach this just yet. He just has this vague idea of what he, what he needs to do. And as he goes on, he is formulating this plan. So he doesn't actually know that uh, they're going to have to create the items before they get to the base. So it kind of is a work in progress. But also, we get this whole inner thoughts of Adam at one point, which makes him so much more human, where he goes, what he was aware of, though was that his three companions were 100% human. And then he goes on about the dangers of this mission, where he has gotten them in trouble before, but this is a whole new bag of worms they are about to open, and it might be dangerous for them, and that he considers it. And he knows that it's his doing, or sort of a his fault, that they decided to join him on this mission, because they're such a good friends. So this is... A nice insight to Adam from me. I have the, they make the free items and then I have like, <laughs> I literally have one, two, three, four, five more notes on the entire Saturday. So you need to keep being the one driving this because if I go to my next note, it's going to be, you skip 30 pages. 
Yes, I skip everything that is not different. Uh, now, a few more things happen. Obviously, as has said multiple times before, the show is very accurate when it comes to the book, especially more we come to the ending of it. So, uh, broad strokes, absolutely on point. Details, sometimes a little different. Uh, what I really wanted to point out is the uh, description of the bodies of the horsemen after they come out of the building, because the combination of this description and how they look, and I know that we talked about why are they leaking, what's going on. They are described as, there was a strangeness about them. It was as if instead of ill-fitting suits, they now had ill-fitting bodies, which doesn't change anything, but to me it makes the way they are shown on the show, it makes much more sense to me now. It creates a much better image to me. So I just wanted to point that out. To me, the most relevant thing about the Four Horsemen is that Death has a name and it gets mentioned because his name does not get mentioned on the show. And Death's name is Azrael. Oh, yeah. We'll which is that. incidentally the same name for the Angel of Death on Lucifer, which is inspired by the... Lucifer comics that Neil Gaiman wrote. And that brings us to the moment where we get rid of the three out of, out of the four horsemen, because that is different to the show. So the main difference is that they made the items beforehand, so the instructions were given already. It's not something that Adam's like, oh, wait a second, I know, I'll tell you what to do right now, which is what happens on the show, first of all. And second of all, There is no saying, I believe in peace, bitch, or I believe in clean environment. So it's not like they're choosing the kids who are in opposite of the horsemen, as didn't really make sense to us. Why would Brian be paired with pollution? What, because he's so slobby. Yeah, they are actually the most similar to the respective horsemen. So Pepper being the very aggressive, let's solve this uh, face to face or fist to fist. And so she gets to face off with war. And of course, the sensible ones get paired with each other who have a penchant for black, which is Wensleydale and Famine. And of course, the two gross ones, Pollution and Brian, also get paired because, duh. Exactly. So rather than having the opposites, it's the similarities. And it makes so much more sense. I don't understand why they decided. I don't know if they were trying to drive the point home better and more like easily to see, I guess, or understand on the show. But they changed this tiny little thing and it just created more questions to us and we had this whole debate about why I don't have an answer for this so yeah but it's different so to me also I was very unhappy when we talked about it in the show that dog needs to help out because that means that one of the duels is not evenly matched here we have absolutely no need for dog to interfere with anything because dog while a part of the gang is not a part of the gang when it comes to that and also the sword itself is not this over relevant character as it is in the show because in the show it is this running joke it's relevant everywhere every kid uses it to fight and here it's quite the opposite here it's do not touch anything 
accept your own item that you made yourself. So that is how it's setting up here. But yeah, right after this, when the three get defeated is when death gets the name. And then, of course, we have the death Adam. Staring much. There is one, it feels like a throwaway sentence, but I am feeling like, what if this is going to be a part of the next season? Because death goes, you cannot destroy me. That would destroy the world. And... Adam replies saying, oh, I don't know. There might be a way. And that's it. That's all we get. And I'm like, what? Like, what is the way? Is it something that's going to be explored in the future? Like, I know that technically you can't get rid of death, but like, can you get rid of this specific death and maybe it gets replaced by something else? And yes, my mind just went wild. No, it depends. Of course you can get rid of death. That's how I'm, how immortality works, literally. <laughs> and also, since we know that the two of the writers did work on the 668, The Neighbor of the Beast, and by definition, the Antichrist is the beast, it would be a possibility that the neighbor of Adam, from his perspective, could be telling us more stories about Adam. Because at the end of the book and the show, we do see that Adam still holds power. So that might have merit, yes? Yeah. So, the suspense. Well, I love it when we make up wild theories and then we are proven right or wrong, or sometimes both at the same time. And... It makes it so much more entertaining to me because this time we actually don't know. And we have no way of knowing. This is not us dodging spoilers. This is no one having any information. Except for a few chosen ones who we apparently cannot. Apparently it's frowned upon to like go into people's houses and interrogate them about this. We wouldn't I do don't that. Know. Come on. Okay, so this goes on and on and on. My next note is Metatron and Belzebub show up because we do not have Gabriel. So Metatron obviously has to be the angel that does show up. Exactly. So that is the biggest difference there because essentially the entire conversation is very, very same spirited as it was on the show. Well, depends on how you define difference because after the two angels show up and then they leave, there is no confrontation with the devil. There is no, you're not my dad, no, 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 no. There is no Aziraphale Crowley and Adam having a three-way conversation about, Adam, you're the only one who can do this. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. Adam simply changes the world a tiny bit, and that is it. With no huzzah, with basically no acknowledgement whatsoever, he just flips it a tiny bit to the side, so to say, and then everything is fine. And On the one hand, it is so underwhelming, but on the other hand, it makes so much sense because this is how great things usually work. There is no big hurrah moment because no. (laughs) As, As according to the book, he moved one hand around in a blurred half circle and that's all that happens. Which also shows so much that Aziraphale and Crowley's meddling was utterly and completely unnecessary. Everything they did is completely irrelevant. They did not have to show up. They did not have to do anything. Literally everything they did made no difference. Oh my god, you're right. Anathema and Newt are more relevant to this because Newt with his 
anti-electronic uh, powers is the one to shut down World War Three. But Crowley and Aziraphale are completely irrelevant to the entire happenings in this entire book. They are completely irrelevant. I'm just going through every single thing that they do in the book. And they're literally, if they weren't in there, everything would ended up being the same thing. Because like the only thing is that, that Crowley delivers the child to the hospital, but that could have been anybody else. He is not part in the changing around stuff. Oh my god. <laughs> wow. 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 That's something. That's some that's I guess that's the biggest change between the show and the book. Is because they're not really relevant on the show either, but they least, do give Adam the the pep talk. Get yourself together, you could do it. So basically everything is done at the airbase. We do get this short insert that the guard that is Irafel or Crowley spirited away. Aziraphale. Got sent home to his mom, which is very cute. Because in the show we do not get this information. So poor Aziraphale in the show never knows what happened. Book Aziraphale does get the answer. And my last difference for the entirety of Saturday is that Crowley and Aziraphale do not take the bus. They take a jeep that Crowley drives. And he's giving Aziraphale a ride. <laughs> did you have to phrase it this way? Of course I did. Yes, they took the Jeep. No one stopped them. And there was a cassette player in the Jeep, even though there wasn't really a cassette player in the Jeep before that. And the cassette that Crowley put on as he drove was marked Handel's Water Music. And it stayed Handel's Water Music all the way home, which I found extremely sad. To me, this just meant that this is not his car. Yeah, but also he willed the cassette player in it, so... Yeah, because he needed music, but it's not his car. Yeah. That's fair enough. It doesn't have his soul. Exactly. Happy Sunday. Sunday. All right. Sunday, I have one, two, three, four, five notes. And then I am done. I. That's a very interesting note. That's just a bunch of question marks and exclamation points. Well, but I assume as per usual in this coverage, you have way more notes than I do. So please. No, I have like four. What? Yeah. Okay. Well, so then let me try to guide us through this and see how chaotic it is because I have no context for my notes. <laughs> I'm going to try to give you context. So my first note for Sunday is that Anathema is not upset at all when she learns about the further nice and accurate prophecies. Quite the opposite. She is very much about to take the book and everything. And it is Newt who has to stop her and make her aware that there is another option. So without Newt, Anathema would simply continue in her role as a descendant. Which makes sense on one hand, because this is all she has ever known. So why would she suddenly change that? Because she was terrified when the book wasn't there suddenly. When she lived through the prophecies and, and she... It feels like she is reaching out to something familiar because she's too afraid to not have it. That for me is why this makes so much more sense because as happy as she understandably is that now the job is done, it also means that she has no direction anymore in life and this is something that can very understandably be absolutely terrifying for someone. So to get the, okay, actually you're not done, you're just done with chapter one makes sense that she would be like, okay, perfect, now part two. But so this is a big difference, obviously. The biggest difference, of course, for all of Sunday is the entire ending of the show. 
exists not in the book. The whole switching bodies, playing the other side, torturing, trial, yada yada yada, nada. That doesn't necessarily mean that they didn't mean for this to happen maybe in the second part of the book, or second book, or whatever story they were working on. It just means that we have a slightly different setup. There also is no prophecy about this. There is no mentioning of it. There is no warning from Agnes. So I say it doesn't happen. They do go for food, so that does happen. And a nightingale does sing in Berkeley Square for the first time ever. Yes. So we do have the happy ending for Crowley and the Zerofel, but we do not have the fun part. My third note is that both Warlock and Gracie Johnson, the two other babies, have a life after Sunday. Warlock is going to America. And Gracie Johnson is going to have a football career. So it's nice that all three kids get to have a life. And there is a beautiful way for it to be dropped as an information. And that is, this is all happening, the realization or the description that we get about them, when they are basically occupying the same space. Because Warlock is flying over Tatfield. Mm-hmm. He's on a plane. While Greasy Johnson and Adam are both in Tatfield. So they are in close proximity. Which makes sense. Because everything is only relevant if it happens close to Adam. Yeah. Also, there is a little detail that is thrown in that I really, really like. And that is from Warlock point of view, he ends his bit by saying he's going to be in America. They've got 39 flavors of ice cream there, maybe even more, which is something that we've got... In the show, in a different context, yeah. But didn't we get that from the them earlier in the book? No, 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 no. We get this only from the them in the show. Oh, okay. I think it would be much more fun if it was in the book as well, like from the them, and now it's randomly just thrown in there. I, I... I'm pretty sure we have it in the show with the them because we don't have the further information on Warlock. Yeah, that's possible. It caught my eye, obviously. It felt familiar, so I usually go to, oh, it was in the book, rather than <laughs> swapping things around. And I have two last notes, and they are very closely related to each other, because they are both happening in the park orchard thingy after Adam escapes the garden with Doc. Because when he escapes, he comes past where Newt and Anathema are burning the book, just like in the show. They're not outside. He walks past the Jasmine Cottage. This is actually a change to the show that they are not outdoors burning the book. They are burning it inside in the fireplace of Jasmine Cottage. So where is the smoke coming out that Agnes faces in that winks at Adam? Adam sees the smoke coming out of the chimney. Give me, you have the book in front of you. Give me the part. He looked at the plume of white smoke above the chimney of Jasmine Cottage and he paused and he listened. He could hear laughter. It wasn't a witch's cackle. It was the low and earthy guffaw of someone who knew a great deal more than could possibly be good for them. The white smoke writhed and curled above the cottage chimney. For a fraction of an instant, Adam saw, outlined in the smoke, a handsome female face. A face that hadn't been seen on earth for over 300 years. Agnes Nutter winked at him. 
perfect. So I read over the fact that they're in the <laughs> house because I was like, they're still burning a book, so it's the same. And then he continues on to the apple trees, orchard, park, whatever. And so we do learn that those apple trees do not belong to R.P. Taylor, but he still has an issue with Adam stealing those apples, so he still shouts at him. But because I was wondering when we were covering the show if these trees belong to him, they're not. Yes, he's just a busy neighborhood busybody. He's just an asshole, seriously. Let's just call him what he is. Which, again, makes the lines so much cleaner and it actually works really, really, really well. And that is literally my final note that I have because this is the end of the fucking book. <laughs> this is the end of the book as we know it. Whee! Yes, I feel this is the longest we have gone for one topic, but it was to be expected that this episode was going to be long. Dear listeners, dear patrons, dear fans of book and show and hopefully both. And the combination of thereof. We desperately hope that you enjoyed our totally non-chaotic and perfectly structured coverage of the differences between book and show Good Omens and all the parts in the book that Vero really, really loved. So let us know what you thought about this, despite the fact that our summoning episode is happening before this comes out, because guess what? There's going to be more summoning episodes, no matter what we cover. Thank you so much. And as per usual, you can find us on Twitter or Instagram or on Discord if you are part of our Patreon. So if you are not and want to hear all the bonus episodes and material, that we have up there, feel free to go to patreon.com slash podcast. And with this we say... Or no, what, what do we say? No, how does it... It does not go with this we say. Oh, no, no, no. That's how we started. So thank you so much for listening. That's what, you already said that. Okay. Blah, 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 blah. I think we just say bye. Blah. Yeah, we just say bye. Yeah, so three, two, one. Bye! Bye! Bye!